That's right, Real Good Show is back at it again for another week. It is episode number 174. My name is Justin Morissette, and it's uh, uh, been a little while since uh, I've put out an episode. My apologies for that. Uh, I don't have nearly as much to talk about uh, in the intro to this one as as I did <laughs> during, during the last episode. Uh, I'm not at the center of any media controversies within the city at the moment, which is a nice place to find myself, honestly. And I do want to say as well that that all very quickly blew over last time. I recorded that uh, kind of right in in the middle of of crisis mode, which kind of showed up maybe in the way that uh, I was uh, exacerbated by that issue uh, or or, uh, exhausted, I should say, by it because, uh, I mean... Yeah, look, it was. I'm sure it was very unpleasant for uh, Ed Willis and Paul Chapman to find themselves at the center of that. Uh, but it was also unpleasant for me to find two guys whose work I have read and and uh, admired for many years to uh, be super mad at me, which uh, which is over now. That's that's no longer the case. Ed and I have uh, talked things over, and we're all good, all all peachy, which is uh, which is great. I, it's funny though. Uh, I I talked to a friend of mine about uh, doing the show solo now and, and, and doing these kind of, uh, you know, I try not to be rambling, but maybe rambling monologues off the top. And he had said something along the lines of, just be careful that you don't, like, go crazy and spin off into your your own universe of, of kind of, uh, you know, weird insanity. And I, I said, yeah, you know, I assured him, you have nothing to worry about. That's not going to happen. I'm, I'm only talking about sports things. And then, of course... Uh, maybe maybe that was a little too much wrapped up in my own orbit, but I do not have a controversy like that to, to deal with this week. I do have, however, a guest who is very familiar uh, with controversy and finding himself in the center of uh, firestorms considerably larger than I was dealing with a few weeks ago. Uh, we'll get to that in just a second, though. I, I do want to say my apologies uh, that uh, there hasn't been a show over the last three weeks. I uh, have been working basically seven days a week. I was sick for a couple weeks in there too. Had some bookings that fall that fell out on me during the rare moments I was free uh, to record this show as well. So um, you know, it's it's on me, I guess, for for not making time for it better. But uh, uh, I was under a little bit of an economic crunch this month, and I I had uh, a lot of work on my plate, and this uh, kind of got the short shrift and. I'm sorry about that. And, you know, I talked a couple weeks ago about fighting and sometimes losing a battle with anxiety and depression. And I won't say that that didn't factor into this little break again here, too, as well. It certainly did, uh, as those are ongoing factors in my life. And I don't like to talk about them, but I know that there's a contingent of the listeners out there who do enjoy it when I do mention that because uh, it makes them feel like, uh, you know, they're not alone, that there's somebody else grappling with these things on a day-to-day basis as well, and uh, people have reached out to me when I have been honest about these things to tell me that, and um, I appreciate that as well. It makes me feel like I don't have to, you know, hide away when when I am struggling. Not that the you know lack of episodes over the last week has entirely been to uh, been due to mental health struggles, but uh, you know it, it it certainly doesn't help when you're working seven days a week and, and trying to balance uh, a bunch of spinning plates up in the air. Sometimes. Uh, some of them fall and shatter, and unfortunately, over the last couple of weeks, as we've been here in the month of February, real good show has been uh, the plate that fell uh, for me off of my spinning plate trick, which I apologize. But uh, to make up for lost time, I do have uh, a number of exciting things coming down the pipeline here, uh, and I'm tr- going to try and put out two episodes next week to try and make up for lost time. Uh, so thank you for that, and we will get back to uh, some hockey discussion next week as well. Have a, a relatively high-profile guest coming up that I'm I'm very excited to speak to. So uh, look forward to that next week, and I do promise that it is coming next week. But in the meantime, 
Oh, wow. What didn't we talk about on this week's show with our guest, Rob Russo. Rob uh, hosts a show of his own called 49th Parahel, which uh, is a political uh, commentary program. It's, uh, you know, sometimes has a focus on American politics, as we all do, because uh, so goes America, so goes the world. But it is largely uh, tackling Canadian issues from week to week. And Rob uh, is a very smart fellow. Uh, a good friend of mine, a longtime listener of this show, and a frequent guest on my wrestling podcast, Top Marks, as well. Uh, Rob, also a big-time Toronto Raptors fan, and the Raps uh, have made some big moves over the last couple of weeks. Of course, it was a huge NBA tra- trade deadline for them, uh, so we get into that a little bit. There was more to the basketball discussion with Rob, who is a very knowledgeable Raps fan, unfortunately, uh, a lot of it was lost due to a technical glitch. I salvaged what I could. But that's all well and good because the bulk of today's episode is talking about the Colin Kaepernick settlement uh, that was struck with the NFL that came down last Friday afternoon, a week ago, if you're listening to this on the day that it dropped, and kind of the reaction to it and and more than that, sort of the the ongoing issue of of like bad faith reads uh, on everything that Kaepernick has done and everything revolving around Kaepernick since his entire protest movement began. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much of what we got into, but, I mean, it's been an issue right from day one, you know, uh, of people doing everything that they can to avoid the actual issues of what Kaepernick was trying to confront with an American society and instead making it about the army or about respect and about all these other things that are completely irrelevant to confronting the issue of police brutality against unarmed black people and quite often unarmed black children within America. This is an issue that, you know, should have more of a focus point on it. And if, you know, Colin Kaepernick can use the platform that he has to drive some kind of social discussion about this, look, we've talked about it a lot ever since it began Several years ago, it feels like now on this program. Uh, But this is something that finally, you know, I don't want to say entirely resolved itself last week because the story is not over. This story will continue. You know, Colin Kaepernick is going to try and find, I'm sure, a team who will sign him so that he can play professional football next season, whether that's in the NFL or the Alliance of American Football or heaven forbid the XFL, who knows, he is going to try and continue to uh, play and, and continue his career. And when that happens, you know, the story will continue. But right now it feels like we're at a, you know, a pretty big moment where for, you know, the better part of the last year since this lawsuit was announced, everybody has denied any malfeasance or wrongdoing on the part of the National Football League and its owners to block a player from playing in the league who we all know is significantly, significantly better than a number of quarterbacks who have played professional football in the NFL over the past two seasons, especially as teams got into injury woes and had to sign and play all kinds of just garbage depth quarterbacks who never should have played a minute in the league when you have players like Kaepernick available, sitting, waiting for a phone call, who would love to be playing pro football, but were, you know, blackballed, just straight up banned from playing in the league. So uh, this is a big moment where it is conclusive that there is wrongdoing, that there there is, you know, the NFL does not take this deal or does not offer to make this deal in the first place if they did not feel that going to trial would have greatly embarrassed them. And the only way they would feel that going to trial would do that is if they were guilty, which they obviously were from the start. So uh, you'll love to see it. You'll love to see it. I would have personally loved to see this go to court to see what would have happened there. But I can understand uh, if you're Colin Kaepernick as well, just wanting to take this settlement and, and get it over with so that you can try to engage in this current NFL offseason like a proper offseason and and do the training and feel out to teams to see if there's a fit anywhere. You know, he wants to get on with his life uh, as much as uh, I'm sure the NFL wants this to go away. So 
hopefully, you know, he, he he's back behind uh, behind center taking snaps at some point next season. And hopefully he's still allowed to to protest without much issue as well. But we will see about that. I'm sure there will be just an enormous, an enormous amount of right-wing hysteria as soon as he signs uh, with whichever team saw, signs him. But as I tell Rob uh, coming up in a second here, and as I've said many times since this all began, whether it's on this show or on the Sportsnet 650 airwaves, th- whichever team does decide to do that, to to sign Colin Kaepernick, you know, you're going to sell an enormous amount of jerseys, just like Nike sold an enormous amount of shoes uh, or whatever they were selling when they put together that ad with him. You know, there are people, and I count myself among them, I'm looking at right now a Colin Kaepernick Funko Pop that I bought in support of him, uh, you know, <laughs> who want to support this guy, who want... Uh, some Kaepernick merch, uh, whether that's you know a jersey on their back or whatever. There is a lot of money to be made uh, off of Colin Kaepernick yet, and I'm sure that there's a lot of shrieking uh, in bad faith on the opposite side of the aisle when it comes to him as well. But one of the main things that I wanted to get into with Rob because he uh, you know is is a uh, openly kind of leftist writer uh, is is the way that sports fandom kind of, you know, naturally uh, conditions its viewer to be anti-labor in a way that, you know, that this is maybe the only labor relations that affects their life in a meaningful way uh, because they don't have a union at work and then they don't, uh, you know, think that that's a possibility for them. And maybe they don't even want it because their brain has been poisoned into thinking that unions are horrible, which of course is what so much of, uh, right-wing uh, thinking and talking points has gone into over the last several decades, just cultivating this culture where we we do not think of unions as a good thing. And the biggest example of it is anytime you know, a player gets involved in any sort of skirmish, whether it's Kaepernick, whether it's a holdout, whether it's uh, a, a lockout, you know, anytime there are labor issues in sports, the media and the fans to an extent, though there are fans who would argue otherwise, I'm sure, always side with uh, with ownership, always side with the people that do not present the product that they are enjoying. And, you know, uh, that I think there's a lot to dig into there. And uh, I was happy to do it with somebody smart uh, who could back me up on these crazy things that I think. So without further ado, before I, I give away our entire conversation point by point, here it is, ladies and gentlemen, your real good show for the week with my friend and hopefully yours, the wonderful Rob Rousseau. Russell, look out! All right, ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week is a longtime friend of the show, a longtime listener of the show as well, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you can find his work, his writing, uh, in a number of different places. He is a freelance writer whose work can be found in Paste Magazine and Vice and all different sorts of one-word online publications like that. He also has a <laughs> podcast of his own called 49th Para Hell, a uh, Canadian uh, political podcast that often looks at the American political landscape as well, and I am happy to have him here today to join me, my friend, Rob Russo. Rob, welcome to Real Good Show. I'm very happy to be here. This is exciting. Uh, Thanks for having me on, uh, JMO. No problem. No problem. Now, you're a big-time Raptors guy. We're going to get into a little bit of kind of labor discussion and and the way that uh, can be viewed through the sports lens before too long here. But, uh, you know, as a big-time Raptors fan, I know you've been longing to talk about them because it's not a topic that uh, comes up on your own podcast really ever at all. Not really, no. Yeah. (laughs) What what the Raptors are doing doesn't really factor into uh, the Canadian political scene too often. So I figure (laughs) why not have you on and, and talk about what has been basically a huge couple weeks here a huge month for the raptors gearing up for this uh this playoff run here yeah uh it's been a it's been a pretty interesting season um i think you know it, last year after they kind of after the raptors kind of flamed out in the playoffs against the cavs that was i think that was probably like among the worst like sports losses or sports experiences of my adult life and i was i was like 
I was having a really hard time imagining how I was going to get fired up for this season or like maintain that level of enthusiasm. Yeah, I mean that that but, that was kind of like the big story at the end of last year was like they have this incredible season. They have the best regular season that they've ever had and they still go through the same heartache at the end of it. So how are you possibly going to be emotionally invested to go through another regular season when you think you know what's coming on the end of it? And that has really not been the case this year at all because, you know, uh, we sort of expected them to come back with maintaining the status quo and that same group to get another kick in the can here. And, and it's been not that, the no. farthest thing from that. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And, uh, I think the, the thing about last season too, was that not even that they had this great season, but that I allowed myself to believe that it was, things were going to be different and that they were going to, you know, finally kind of buck that trend of these kind of playoff collapses. I really let myself believe it. So, you know, first of all, never fucking making that mistake again with sports, (laughs) just assume that it's always going to be bad. But yeah, that's why I think when they traded DeRozan uh, this summer, which was kind of sad because he's been such a fixture of the team, I was really excited about it. It's really cool to bring in a player of like Kawhi Leonard's caliber. Uh, they've never really had, as great as DeRozan was for the Raptors, they've never really had a guy that's that good on both ends of the floor. Um, he's already basically like one of the best players to ever put on the jersey. So it's been, it's been really interesting uh, watching that play out this season. But at the same time, I was starting to feel a little bit nervous about the playoff run. I think early in the year, I was kind of thinking that, okay, this team's making the finals. Like they look terrific. I think uh, over the course of the year, some sort of cracks in the fissures, uh, you know, started showing up. Is that an expression? Did I just make up this? I think I might've just totally misused that expression. That's okay. That's yeah. okay. I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as the, over the course of the year, really started to see some kind of nagging issues there, had some kind of tough losses to some of the better teams uh, in the East, and I was kind of starting to feel less hopeful about what this playoff run was going to look like, and now they've kind of rebooted yet again uh, with another emotionally devastating but big trade by getting rid of JV. Uh, so now I'm really I'm pretty psyched for the rest of the season to, to kick off with, uh, with Marc Gasol and, and Jeremy Lin also in there. And I think this is a pretty good squad that's going to be able to make some noise in the playoffs. Like a guy like Marcus Gasol, I think he was being a little bit underrated by Raptors fans after this trade because of he's a little bit older. Uh, he's maybe not quite at the level that he was two, three years ago. But I think now that he's in this situation where he's getting a chance to compete for a championship and he's in this like you know this high stakes situation, I think we're going to see come May, June why it's really going to be important to have him on the on that squad. Yeah, uh, on the topic of uh, of Demar there for a second cuz you touched on something basically the the heartache of of watching him go. Marcus Stroman uh had some interesting quotes out of Toronto with the Blue Jays this weekend as he is kind of lobbying for a long-term deal to stay put in Toronto and he uh, had some quotes that I think he was like intending to endear himself to uh, the local fan base there, but it may have blown up in his face, did not go the way that he wanted. He essentially said that like you just don't see guys come in and embrace the city of Toronto and want to be there as pro athletes. Uh, and his exact quote was, it's just not natural. <laughs> for that to happen. And people pointed at, you know, DeRozan and all other sorts of guys who've come in and, and embraced the city over the years. But I, I, I think that, you know, as much as people want to be mad at uh, at what he said, he's right. Like, DeRozan is the exception that proves that that is correct. You cannot point to him as a guy that, that, that goes against that when, like, the reason that there was this outpouring of heartbreak and sadness at his trade, like, everybody should have been doing backflips at the fact that you just landed Kawhi Leonard, this, you know, top five player in the league, maybe, you know, the best defensive player in the league in terms yeah. of, uh, plus what he does on offense like this is you know this, this was a a great trade for the team if you can look at it just through the prism of what we gave up and what we got back 
but there's all this emotion of like this guy really embraced the city and really embraced being in Canada in a way that often doesn't happen. And uh, you know, it, it's funny because I think that sort of uh, kind of emotional attachment to players uh, can make us look at trades in in interesting ways. Because you know, for example, this most recent trade bringing in Mark Gasol, like we we're just talking about. Uh, I'm a big Jonas Valanciunas guy, and I know you are as well. Yeah, yeah, me too. So that's like a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow. Is you know watching these it guys so... that you like get traded away as the team kind of pushes all in looking for a championship. It was extra sad too because he'd been hurt for a, like two months, was just about ready to come back, and you hearing the his quotes too. He was so excited to come back and like start playing for the Raptors again, and. You can tell he's another guy that just loved being in Toronto, loved being on the team. And it, it did. It sucked. It was hard to see him go. Ujiri talked about this recently. Like he talked about how uh, he could have just keep running. He could have kept the same job for the next five, 10 years, had great job security by running the same team back. Uh, you know, having 50 win seasons, getting to the playoffs, but not really getting anywhere and treading water. But he wants to win a championship. And I think that's. That's what you want your the owner of your franchise to to do, and say. And yeah, I, I understand people getting emotionally invested in the players, uh, like like DeRozan, like like Jonas, and it is sad to see them go. But I think like I'm really excited for this playoff run. Uh, I think in in May and June we're really going to see the value of what these guys are bringing to the team. They're both like playoff tested. Uh, competitors they've won at the highest levels they've been through these gritty wars uh wars of attrition in the playoffs they know how to get things done and uh i think it's going to be good things i think they're going to be really tough to beat four times in a seven game series uh in the in the playoffs and and ultimately like you know even if you get the exact same result out of this playoff run as you would have if you had sat on your hands and done nothing if you know they do not make the final if they do not you know, uh, somehow through some miracle win an NBA championship this season and come, you know, next year, you know, say Leonard is gone and Gasol is gone and and you gave up all these pieces to get guys who are no longer on the team. Are you going to think that the, the ride was worth it, basically? Is this playoff run going to be fun enough that that no matter what happens here, uh, y- even if you're you're left uh, holding the bag in a in two seasons, <laughs> <laughs> like th- this is this was better than just coming back with that same group, right? I think so. Yeah, I mean that's what you want. You want an opportunity to to for the team you like to win a chip at the end of the year, and that they, uh, I don't think I even with last year's team that that I really has kind of a magical season that were competing really well, no one ever thought, oh, this is a team that's going to take on the Golden State Warriors in the finals and, and maybe win a championship. And this team might not get that far, but you can say that's a possibility. There's there's a possibility that the Toronto Raptors are going to be playing in the NBA finals this year at the absolute highest level. Uh, and you couldn't say that before. So I think ultimately um, that's really what matters here. And uh, I think like if if it doesn't work out, and they don't manage to uh, bring back Leonard, and you know it, it kind of collapses. They are still pretty set up to continue to compete moving forward um, with guys like Pascal Siakam, who's taken this huge leap this year, who looks like he's going to be a future All Star, like either next year or very very soon. Uh, you'll have a whole bunch of cap space to maybe bring in someone else. You've got a bunch of other pieces that are pretty nice, and I think after twenty twenty one. There's no one even on the books uh, except for Norman Powell. So there's a, tons of room to bring in other big names and and bring in and keep trying to run it back. But uh, yeah, I mean, even if they don't bring back Kawhi, like they're they have the room to make a run at any number of free agents, basically in the off season. And and this is kind of a insane class of of off season talents. And you know, you would think that just the supporting cast that they've been able to build up, whether that's Fred Van Vliet or like you said, Pascal Siakam, like that should be it should be enticing for Kawhi to want to stay to continue playing with these guys. But if not him, like there will be other people knocking at the door. Yeah. And with Kawhi too, I don't think I think people wrote them off right away from being able to to bring him back, but I'm not going to certainly get my hopes up about it. I think I'm just kind of like running under the assumption that he will leave. 
but I do think they've got a good chance of of bringing him back as well. Uh, I mean, he can go to the Clippers with a kind of unknown situation, uh, which is maybe a better geographical fit for him. But I think he is, you know, he's a smart basketball guy. He knows what kind of situation he's got going here. Uh, I think he appreciates the young guys that are on the team and the, the people's pieces that they're putting around them and the, the resources that they're willing to put into building a winning competitor. Uh, I mean, I, it's, I think he sees that it's the, one of the best basketball situations for him. So I don't, I think there is a chance that he does stay. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to bet money on it, but, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it either. Yeah. It's the same lesson that you learned in last year's playoffs, right? Like just, yeah. just assume the worst at all times. Well, it's not even sports. It's that and politics. Just like, just assume everything's always going to get worse. <laughs> And you're, you're never going to be disappointed, but you know, maybe, maybe things won't get worse. And then if they don't, then you're pleasantly surprised. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, you could apply that to all of life, essentially. Just, just yeah. always assume that everything is going to go terribly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rob, let's, let's change gears a little bit here uh, to talk about uh, some big news out of the NFL that came down last week, which is of course that, uh, the National Football League came to a legal settlement with uh, Colin Kaepernick's collusion lawsuit, which, you know, I think all of the worst people are using in bad faith to say, oh, Cap got what he wanted, you know, big payday, he's got to be happy now, this is all he was looking for. And it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, Yeah. Well, first of all, i got to say it's disappointing that the NFL – clearly is paying money to this troop-hating, cop-disrespecting person, the, the Communist Football League, once again, showing their, their true colors of uh, red and hammer and sickle with this kind of... Uh, no, okay, no, that's not... That's not what's happening. But, um, yeah, no, I think that... I, my understanding is what Colin Kaepernick wanted was to play football i mean i think that's ultimately that's what he wants to be doing exactly that's what he would that's what he would rather be doing um so i think the idea that this is all some kind of long con to get paid for sitting on at home is not accurate i mean the guy's a competitor he's a he's a good quarterback too he's not some hack you know there's plenty of quarterbacks in the nfl that are significantly worse than kaepernick is so uh, I think it's understandable that he's frustrated that he's not playing, and uh, I think ultimately that's what he would rather be doing if it was up to him. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a, this whole thing all along has been like, especially from you know the right wing media is like, how can we talk about this without actually talking about it? Right? Like nobody wanted to acknowledge or concede anything about what he was actually doing and what his actual message was. I mean, making it about the troops and disrespecting the military <laughs> was just like an excuse from the beginning to like not actually engage with the real message of what was going on here. Yeah, of course. So it shouldn't be well, any surprise that that is continuing even as, you know, this story comes to a close and, and he gets the settlement, which which the, the biggest thing about the settlement is like, that is the NFL admitting that... The that his case was like bang on correct. Yeah, they, of course. Well, everyone can see that. That they were colluding against him the entire time. And yes, I think everyone can see that, but uh, I don't know if it's just, you know, maybe not everyone. Maybe we're giving them too much credit, or maybe people are just, you know, intentionally lying to skirt the issue. Yeah, and it makes it all the more ridiculous the more they tried to kind of, like that whole thing last year with like fucking Jerry Jones kneeling and stuff. And it's like, Oh my goodness, like who do you think are fucking kidding me here? And um, like, you know, in the Super Bowl, these kinds of like moves they're making towards talking about like African-American history and equality and things like that. And it's just like none of this, you know, we can tell you're completely full of shit because the the black quarterback that is like using his platform to talk about these, these social issues, you're purposely colluding to keep him out of, of football games and keep him from being able to share these kinds of messages. So all your kind of like moves towards equality and representation are completely fucking meaningless. And if all Colin Kaepernick wanted was to get paid millions of dollars to do nothing, he could have just continued being a backup quarterback and said yeah. nothing, you know? Yeah. 
Like this. Or guy... you know, I'm I'm not gonna do this anymore. Okay, fine. Like I'll just show up and go to practice and play games or whatever. But you know, and people talk about like, oh, he didn't sacrifice anything. He's he's wealthy and stuff. But like it, the very fact that he's got this huge platform. Uh, and the fact that he was willing to use it for these things is a really like a brave thing for him to do. Yeah, and my favorite story to come out of all this, I'm not sure if you saw this in the news a couple of weeks ago, but a, a Colorado area uh, like sporting goods store, like you know, like one of those shops in the mall that you'd go to to buy like a team hat or a jersey or whatever, was having a like, yeah, yeah. going out of business blowout sale because he stopped carrying all Nike products <laughs> after the Kaepernick Nike ad. And it was like, I, I think they were trying to frame it in the article like, oh, he'd lost some business to online retailers and whatnot. But no, he literally was like, yeah, I didn't have Nike, so no one wanted to come in and buy yeah. anything anymore. Like literally Destroy torched his own business to own the libs. Yeah, I was just going to say destroying <laughs> your small business to own the libs. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. And then that guts into all a whole other conversation with uh, about Nike kind of like being, you know, for these social justice uh, causes and kind of supporting him while also participating in their own exploitation and their own system of, of you know, oppression and, and ruthless capitalism. Um, but, you know, I guess you take the wins where you can get. And I think like if Kaepernick's not going to get paid to play football like he wants to, it's good that he's, he's you know, being able to still have a platform and still be a spokesman for or something yeah you're i mean you're bang on correct there like nike nike is not making a political statement because they believe in politics right they're making a calculated bet they are uh you know looking at the the chances of like what is better for us economically in terms of what positions we can take and i'm sure that there are some people who would say well they could just do nothing of course they could not uh take any position at all but they made a, a decision that said, if we back this guy, it's going to be a big boon for us monetarily, which I'm surprised that no NFL team was willing to do. And I guess that speaks to the fact that they all colluded to blackball him out of the league. But, I mean, I would have thought that there would be one team out there that would be like, look, if we just sign this guy, he, and he, he might not even take a snap for us if he's just our backup quarterback, you know, we will sell a shitload of jerseys because people want to support this dude. We're going to be on Sports Center every night. I mean, that would have been a huge thing for a lot of small market teams that weren't getting a lot of attention. But you're right that they that's the whole point of the whole fucking lawsuit was that they were colluding. I'm sure there might have been some owners that were into doing something like that or taking a flyer on him that just couldn't because of the nature of the kind of cabal that's been set up of these different owners yeah i'm curious now that the lawsuit has been settled if if that kind of uh uh opens up his opportunity to kind of come back and play football again or if that they've confirmed the fact that they were colluding against him means that i mean even though they've been sued they will continue to do that i i have a hard time guessing which way this one's gonna go now that's uh I mean, we're in the end game, I suppose, of, of whatever this was going to be. Yeah, who knows? Um, I hope he does play some more. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's cool to have like people that have that level of platform starting to speak out about these issues. And uh, yeah, and he, you know, he wasn't just talking about police violence. Like he was, you know, yeah. Like I think he got called out one day. Uh, he was wearing a Fidel Castro shirt and got someone was trying to, you know. Uh, jab at him about that Shame and he had these really yeah and he had these really solid like thoughtful answers but ready for this and he's like really like presenting a, a, a viewpoint that really is you don't see in sports or in mainstream media or anything and to have a guy like that that was willing to to risk his whole career over being able to speak out about these kinds of things was was really cool so i hope he i hope he does get to still play more and uh, i hope he gets to continue to sort of uses platform for these kinds of things. It is kind of weird though how sports like warps us uh or warps some people I should say kind of a against 
against issues like this, right? Like it, it's being fr- it was framed as like, oh, he's selfish and he's he's disrespecting not just like the troops and all that, but the concept of a team. He's stoking divisiveness in the locker room, and it's like there's room for this sort of thing within sports. It doesn't, you know, it's, what what can you, like, a team is not uh, so fragile as to be undone by a guy making a political statement that I think the vast majority of his teammates would agree with. They might just be too scared to admit, right? Yeah. And, and I, I get how it can be kind of, easy for people to fall into this trap of like these guys are millionaires you know they're they're very privileged they're very wealthy what do they have to complain about and you know i can kind of understand i kind of understand how people can come to that conclusion um but i think like i was saying before i think the fact that he had this huge there's a huge amount of risk involved in order to start speaking out about this stuff and the fact that he was willing to take that risk and risk all i mean he could he could have just shut his mouth and had played it had a next another 10 years of career in the NFL and made a whole bunch of money. Uh, and the fact that he was willing to speak out and, and take that financial risk was pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I think that's where it does get kind of tricky sometimes for people uh, where they see these, these professional athletes speaking about these things um, despite the fact that they they're incredibly well paid, but yeah. also these people are, these people are making billions of dollars. So like this is an example of like a a, a a union really doing its job, right? Like players' yeah. unions in sports are making sure that these guys are adequately compensated for the huge, huge amounts of money that they're earning. Uh, the owners and and shareholders and people like that. These guys should be getting millions of dollars because they're they're making billions. Yeah, and and this is kind of one of the main things I wanted to get in with you today is like. Uh, is like this idea that like you know I, I feel like for a good number of uh, of Americans you know there's been this kind of uh, devious plot over the decades to kind of undermine uh, the politics of labor essentially to to make unions seem like a bad thing uh, that people do not want because they might not actually be familiar with them like uh, it, would you agree perhaps or is this maybe too far to say that like f- for a good many Americans like it's entirely possible that the only union that they are exposed to in their day-to-day lives is like the players union of whatever sport they follow yeah. Well, I mean, the organized labor in America has been, you know, being decimated over the last like 30, 40 years. So it's not like there's all these average Joes across the country like there used to be who are, who are in trade unions or, you know, in working in, in industry and being in unions there. This is the only experience uh, that they see. And a lot of the time, the way that's framed in the media, like when you have these lockouts or or, or situations like that, where you have these players, like people that are like, well, you're taking away my sports and you know why are, why are these guys complaining when they're so rich and, and wealthy um and the way that's broken down in the media is often very like shaming the shaming the players for for doing that or for complaining about their situation at all considering how lucky and how privileged they are yeah it's always the players who are at fault right it's always i mean you even see it uh never mind a lockout when the entire league is holding up but when an individual does it like for example william nylander for the toronto maple leafs this season skipped training camp was out of the uh you know the league for a good two to two and a half months i think because he just sat at home in sweden and was like if you're not gonna pay me what i'm worth then I'm not going to report. I'm not going to sign a deal for less than what I believe I'm worth. And when the team turns around and throws a, a fucking, you know, more money than anyone can ever begin to spend at a guy like Austin Matthews, you know, then it's hard to say that, like, oh, you know what, William Nylander was wrong. He's just being selfish. He doesn't actually deserve that money because it's clear that that money exists and that teams yeah. are willing to spend it on some guys, and if you are a skilled player, if you are a goal scorer, if you do the things that get fans out of their seats or put them in the seats in the first place, you do deserve that money. And yet, like the way that that sports contracts are framed, you're absolutely correct because it's more money than you or I could ever imagine earning in in a single uh, you know year, never mind a lifetime, basically. It's like, well, what more could they want? They're greedy. But, like, 
they are the product. They are what we are spending money to see, you know? Not yeah. not some fucking owner who uh, was a real estate developer or owns some chemical plant or whatever. Like, you know, you can look down the list of, of uh, what the owners of, of sports franchises do, and they're largely, you know, just like the most boring ghouls you can imagine who provide like nothing to society but just have an enormous amount of money they're not doing anything they're not providing a service that i am buying tickets to see you know they should not get to line their pockets because some guy that they drafted out of some you know far off european country happens to be exceptional at uh, putting a ball in a hoop or or a puck in a net or or what have you you know like it's it's crazy to me that whenever something like this hop pops up the media and in i guess the fan base as well and i don't know what is reflecting what in that equation you know whether it's the media shaping the fan narrative or vice versa but it's always backing ownership and always this guy's selfish or these guys are selfish and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's it's this weird thing where sports is essentially like, you know, escapism. It's the one thing that we turn to to kind of forget about politics or, or the troubles of our lives and economics and blah, blah, blah. And yet it does have this economic impact of kind of, you know in a way, like, turning people against labor and, and turning them against unions. Yeah, and what's what's funny about these owners, too, is that it's not like they're even taking on financial risk to do this. They're just rich guys that have a bunch of capital. Who's paying? They're not paying for these big stadiums, state-of-the-art stadiums to be built. Taxpayers are paying for that. Yeah, they used they're to. Not... They used to be paying for them, but, you know, one guy discovered that they didn't that he didn't have to, and the rest of them were like, that's a great idea. I'll just hold yeah. this city hostage. And they all yeah. do it now. And it's like, the it's ghastly. And yet, you know, we watched it play out with Edmonton in this country not that long ago. Daryl Cates just holding that city hostage, floating the idea that he was going to move the Oilers away as if that would ever happen, as if the NHL would ever allow that to happen. And it was all so he could get this billion-dollar complex in the downtown core that he didn't have to pay for. Yeah, so it's like, why are you profiting from this? Like, this makes no sense. Like, that's what I think is selfish. Like, not a player that wants to get paid for the amount of profit that they're earning, but the fact that there's just these fucking billionaire ghouls who contribute nothing, who take on no financial risk. They're just like, what do they even, what do they do? Like, what's their whole purpose? And this isn't, this isn't even like a sports thing. I think this is kind of like a theory, a little bit of mine, that, you know, in the sort of economic era that we both grew, grew up in, um, you know, from the 80s to now, let's say, the idea that we've just always accepted the idea that there's billionaires in society and that that's what that when you're successful, that's what happens. And, and it's good that there's billionaires. And that's a sign that our economy is really like doing well. But like as things have kind of started to, deter to deteriorate economically and opportunities have started to evaporate and all of a sudden uh, our salaries aren't going up and we're not able to afford a home. And all these, these kind of, this kind of future that we were promised is not really appearing, and we're seeing that it was based mostly on bullshit. We're starting to look around at billionaires in general, not just sports owners, but just billionaires in general, and just saying, like, okay, what exactly are you guys contributing again? Like, what, why do we need you guys to have so much uh, money when so many people are struggling? And uh, I think that's kind of the same thing. Like, that's a, that's a larger kind of uh, view of it. But I think in sports, it's it's especially acute because you can really see that these guys are not fuck. They don't do anything. They just they're, like they're just they're just uh, these rich assholes who are uh, making profit by the really hard work and and abilities that these that these athletes are able to to that are that they have. Yeah, Green Bay's got it really figured out, though. You know, like if yeah. the, if, if we as a society are going to pay for. Uh, the the new arena in the downtown core, which I mean, we're watching play out again in Calgary right now. This is this is all all just a little bit of history repeating. Because again, like I said, when one of them sees that this can happen for them, then everybody wants a piece of that pie, 
and it never ends. It's just this long, slow, uh, kind of just, it's vampiric almost, you know? They're just sucking the money out of whatever source they can get it from. In this case, you know, hold the government hostage because eventually people love their local sports team enough that they'll be forced to capitulate. It didn't happen uh, in Calgary, or it hasn't happened yet, but that doesn't mean that it won't, even though they tried to make this an election issue. I mean, fuck, we've talked a little bit about this on the show in the past, but the Flames literally were, like, openly campaigning for a mayoral candidate who promised them a free arena. Like, they had it up on the big, like, neon rings video boards in the arena, like, vote for this guy. As if, like, as if my allegiance to my sports team is to such an extent that, like, whatever they say, I'll just go do, you know? Like, it's insane, the hubris of this. But, um, I mean, I, I don't even remember where I was going with my point at this point. But, like... Well, another example is Howard Schultz yes. running for president right now, former owner of the Supersonics, legendary NBA franchise who just stabbed the city of Seattle in the heart. It's away from Seattle. And again, this is a guy that's like, oh, you you know, you should like congratulate me for being so successful and so so wealthy, but you know, it's just a big giant dipshit as we're seeing in the <laughs> with this his like fake presidential campaign that he's doing. Yeah, uh, here's here's what I was saying. Yeah, Green Bay's got it figured out, man. If they if they're going to pay for the thing, they may as well own the team. And sometimes yeah. that goes you know, the wrong way, you look at, like, the Arizona Coyotes who couldn't find an owner and therefore, like, the city of Glendale stepped in to foot the bill in, in a way to own that team. And that is not a profitable team. And that is not, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> a city council that can afford to run uh, a sports franchise because they're, I mean, it's not like it's the city of Phoenix. It's uh it's a smaller suburb, which I'm sure is a very rich suburb. Don't get me wrong, but I mean that like that that was another example. <laughs> Even when you're trying to do things, I guess they weren't actually trying to do things the Green Bay way of having people buy in and and the public owns the franchise. That was just like taking the the blood sucking to the next level, you know, of like well, if you want this franchise to be here, suddenly, because we can't find an owner for this team, uh, you're on the hook for it. And now all of your tax dollars are going towards this thing. At least at least in Green Bay, it's like, hey, you know, we're a publicly owned company, and if you want to be an owner, you can buy shares. Yeah, I think that's cool. And, you know, even if the, the Coyotes aren't profitable... The NHL overall is profitable and earns quite a lot of money. So I'm sure there's a way using profit sharing or something else that they could have that kind of a system without these these vampiric uh, owners who just contribute nothing to society uh, and still not screw over taxpayers in cities where, they, where their franchises aren't profitable. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a way around that without the current system of uh, – capitalist exploitation yeah but then the other teams that are profitable will think that that's a problem because why am i giving money to this team when they could just be stealing it from their local municipality yeah (laughs) well it's like the same thing it's like why am i why should i pay for your kid to have free lunch at school it's it's the same mindset we're all in a big community here folks we all got to look out for each other this is it's not just in sports it's in society and politics also we got to kind of get rid of this individualistic uh, mindset. Yeah. Start sharing the wealth a little bit. I guess, I guess if billionaires don't want to pay for other people's health care, uh, why should they be expected to pay for the Arizona Coyotes as well? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it is depressing though, right? Like to see, because yeah, I do feel like it's it's sad watching people's kind of uh impressions of of labor politics and and unionization and and everything that unions can do be kind of tainted by uh the way sports is covered and there really is no like you know labor coverage of sports right like we we have we have sports media criticism there's all kinds of you know different ways to look at sports but the but Nobody really wants to do it from 
the perspective of like, hey, who who's getting screwed? Like, who's the little guy here we can stand up for? Because even in that lens, like we were saying earlier, it's hard for people to perceive of them as the little guy. It's hard for someone to look at even a Colin Kaepernick as the little guy when they are literally walking against, like you said, billion-dollar corporations like the NFL who are enormously powerful. Like, any, any single individual is going to be the little guy, the underdog, in any sort of fight that they pick like that. But because they are richer than me... I'm not supposed to feel empathetic towards that. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of goes to the same thing with like the, the salary cap as well, things like that, where I think I remember hearing this conversation around the time uh, LeBron James was in Miami talking about like, you know, I like if, if my market value is like 20 times higher than what I'm currently earning right now, um, but people are not able to really like grant him that, just because, like, even if you're making $20 million per season instead of $100 million, $20 million is still quite a lot of, uh, of money. Yeah. Um, but I think that is something that, you know, people need to start thinking about a little bit. And he's not wrong. And, and taking and to, yeah, and start understanding these players' perspectives, where it's like, I'm earning a certain amount of money for this person. So, you know, if I'm the one that's earning that money, why am I only allowed to, like, legally allowed to get x percentage of it why don't i why am i not able to take home a larger portion of the money that i'm earning and this is something that we all need to apply to all our jobs no matter how much money we're earning uh because ultimately we're all earning profits for somebody and they're paying us as little as they think that they can get away with so this is like an attitude that we need to all apply to our own careers and our own shitty jobs um and this is where you know it needs to happen more and it's it's the the concept of team gets weaponized against that too right like any guy who wants what he's worth who has a clear idea of what they actually bring and the amount of money that they bring in which i'm sure a guy like lebron who has all kinds of side business ventures and you know is getting into filmmaking and all these different things like he knows exactly what he is worth and and what he brings and the and the amount of money that follows him anywhere he goes but to demand that is to be seen as selfish and not putting the team first and basketball is kind of like the one sport where you can get away with that because there's so few guys on the team you know whereas like if if you're in football i mean fuck the size of the rosters in that sport are just enormous hockey you know it's 23 guys in in the pros but you know even that is like well you're one guy. Do you really want to take so much that, like, we've put the cap on it? Like you said, like, there's only going to be so much left over for 22 others. And do you want them to be envious or mad at you or blah, blah, blah? Like, it's. Yeah, it, or, or guys will get pressured to take less because, like, oh, if you. We can give you this max salary, but then we won't be able to put anyone around you. We can't win. We can't do this. So you'll have to take less money so that we can put a supporting cast around you. And, you know, it's putting these players in these weird situations, and they're the ones that are always uh, looked at as being selfish or whatever, just for accepting the amount of money that they're worth. You know, it's like if they don't take even less, then it's like, oh, well, he doesn't care about the team. Yeah. Another way this, another way this is manifesting too right now in the NBA is guys like <clears throat> not really having loyalty to franchises anymore and guys that are like willing to just, oh, I'm going to go here because I'm going to team up with this guy or, you know, using their, their leverage in order to get put in situations where they're happier. And I get why that becomes kind of dicey too, because fan bases are get attached to teams, and you know, it, I it sucks when yeah a, a good player doesn't really want to play for your franchise anymore. But at the same time, these guys, as you pointed out, are they're the labor, they're the ones that are creating this this uh, spectacle for us to watch. Uh, they're the ones that are earning billions of dollars for the owners, so they should have the have the, the power to put themselves and their career in the best situation possible. Like that's not, we shouldn't be arguing against that. And then they become the fall guys too, right? Like, you know, I'm I'm thinking of like the Edmonton Oilers, like have just been the worst managed team in, in maybe all of pro sports, like maybe the history of pro (laughs) sports. 
I'm not even being, you know, I'm not kidding. Like, in terms of what Peter Shirelli walked into and what he was left with when he was fired, maybe like the biggest blundering in pro sports history. But nobody is going to blame Peter Shirelli. I mean, certainly people will. I have blamed Peter Shirelli. There are smart yeah. people who will look at that situation and, and know exactly what happened. But the majority of people, just by going on like Twitter reactions and whatnot, look at the highest paid guy on the team, and in this case it's Connor McDavid, and will say, well, if he wasn't making all that money, if he didn't demand to be so well paid, they could put up a better team around him. It's like, okay, well, that might have like a certain degree of truth to it, but like... It is so insane to look at the troubles of a team and pin them entirely on the best player getting paid what he's worth. And so many people seem to want to do that. Yeah, and, you know, if you're in professional sports, you have, what, a 10, 15-year window of earning a bunch of money, and you have to do what you can to set yourself up for the the rest of your life because you're not going to be earning however many millions of dollars per year for the rest of your life. That's only a very short window. And some guys, you know, will get injured. You never know when this is going to go away. Yeah. So, and depending on what kind of injuries you, you incur along the way, the rest of your life might be a very short window as well. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, speaking about football, especially, I mean, these guys are like sacrificing the last 15 fucking years of their lives. At least uh, To play the sport. And, yeah. To, to play the sport and to entertain people. Instead, it, we should not hold hold it against professional athletes for trying to use the little leverage they have for this brief part of their lives, 10, 15 years at the absolute most, uh, to try and earn as much as possible and try and put themselves in the best position as possible. I mean, that's what I think that's what anyone would do in that scenario. I, so I don't see why it's uh, I think it's counterproductive to frame them as if they're greedy or as if they're uh, they're, you know, not not being in acting in good faith. Yeah. So, you know, do not, uh, do not be mad at your favorite players when they hold out for more money, folks, you should be doing the same. You make a great point, Rob. This is, these are, these are lessons we should be applying to our own lives on a daily basis as well, because the same labor practices that affect pro athletes affect each and every one of us. And we it's could, your boss. We could it's all your boss be doing better. Problem. Yes. It's yes. your fucking boss is the problem. Stop, you know, stop freaking about about your coworker fucking microwaving fish in the break room. It's not their fault. It's not the fucking immigrant that just came in and started working on the assembly line. It's your fucking boss, man. They're the ones that are need to be held to account here. And hopefully, let's go. Hopefully, we can uh, all get a nice payout when we sue all of our bosses for collusion down the line. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I, I shouldn't have made that joke. That makes it seem like I agree that he's the bad guy. But uh, you know, we, <laughs> what I'm saying is we could all stand to do a little better. And when you see someone going out there and uh, and doing it, you have to salute them. You have to uh, you have to tip your cap uh, to Colin Kaepernick uh, and and the the other labor heroes of pro sports, even if we do not uh, often see them that way. That's right. Yeah. Well, Rob, I know you have to go run and uh, and pick up your kid from school. So a uh, bit of a shorter interview this week, but uh, a pleasure as always. And, and where can people find your stuff, man? Uh, you can find me on Twitter.com at Rob Rousseau. Uh, please listen to my podcast if you're into that kind of uh, thing, political stuff. It's uh, <laughs> really selling this really well here. It's, it's called 49th Parahel, as uh, Justin pointed out. And uh, it's on Twitter, and you can find the show there, and you know, on all the Sound SoundCloud and iTunes and all the podcast apps, and uh, it's on Patreon as well too. Yeah. Speaking, of, uh, speaking of making bold sacrifices for taking political stances, yeah, uh, I mean, I think you know a little bit about that, having <laughs> uh, having made numerous appearances on Fox and Friends over the last year and a half or so. Yeah, and Infowars and a couple of other places. Has yeah. that affected your bottom line? Well, I haven't gotten a lot of callbacks from the, the various places that I've applied to <laughs> over that time. I don't know if it's related. Collusion, maybe. You know? Yeah, exactly. Everyone looks me up and it's like, if you if you Google me, there's just this nightmarish news section of just like all these different uh, conservative outlets 
you know, talking about how much a horrible person I am and, and all this stuff. So, yeah, but, you know, what, what can I say? I just, I really enjoy bothering conservatives and making them mad, making them upset. It just, it makes me happy somehow to do it. So I just, I can't quite help myself. Well, Rob, it's a pleasure to listen to your show every week. And it's a pleasure to have gotten to know you through having done this show as well. So uh, you're a good Same. friend. You're a good friend. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that I could squeeze you on here this week, even though we didn't talk about sports all that much. No, we, we did, I think. There's, there's, a, there's a sports framework there that, yeah. was, that was guiding the whole thing. And in a way that uh, is, is often maybe under-addressed, let's say. I think so, yeah. So thanks again for having me on. I really enjoyed it. I've been a long-time listener, like you said. I've been enjoying the solo eps. Uh, so uh, glad you're. I'm glad you're keeping those up and doing that. And I'm happy I was able to come on the show. It was really cool. All right, thanks, buddy. I'll, uh, I'll let you get to it. So there it is, folks. That's your real good for this week. Again, uh, thank you so much to Rob Rousseau for coming on and, and talking all kinds of subjects with me. And uh, my apologies that my computer glitched out in the middle of our Raptors conversation. And, uh, you know, we lost most of that convo, unfortunately, uh, in terms of what was Raptors related. Uh, because of a technical error, I made the most of, uh, of what I could salvage from it. So, you know, hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. You know, the raps were were an amuse-bouche to a, a much deeper conversation on labor. And look, you know, I, I talked about how there isn't really a labor slant to the way that sports are covered, and <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get myself in trouble with my employer, but you, you can think about why that is, why these massive telecom companies would not want to engage in, in uh, labor reporting for sports the way we consider it for, uh, you know, other, uh, other uh, you know, <laughs> places in the culture, whether that's uh, unionization uh, within other industries and, and what have you. You know, I, I don't have to say a ton for you to think about why that might not exist. And I don't want to uh, say too much here because I am well aware of why it does not exist. And I exist within the system uh, that, that doesn't uh, allow for it to exist as well. So just something to stew on. I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm not making a moral judgment on, any, on it in any way. I'm just... Uh, just pointing it out, and that was something that I was thinking about coming into the conversation, but I either forgot about while I was talking to Rob, or more likely, I uh, lacked the courage to bring up because of what might uh, be professional consequences for talking about such a thing. So, uh, you know, just think think about that for a little bit. Uh, well, <laughs> you go about the rest of your week. Hopefully, I'll have something out for you uh, by Monday or Tuesday as I try, like I said, to do a couple of episodes next week. And we will get back to the hockey discussion as, uh, you know, somebody, I will say someone from The Athletic and leave it at that. And you can think that uh, maybe the person you're imagining uh, that I will be talking to next week is actually much more high profile than the one I actually will. But I am very much looking forward to speaking with this person. And I think it's going to be a conversation that you will enjoy as well. So look forward to that coming to you in the midweek next week. And, uh, and a second episode as well as I try to squeeze out at least three in the month of February after, uh, after missing some time. And again, um, sorry about that, and thank you for sticking with me. I appreciate every single one of you who has uh, listened to the solo mission RGS, as I've heard it referred to recently. And that's, I like that. That sits well with me. I think that's, uh, I think that's cool. So, you know, uh, that'll do it for another solo mission. Until next week, be real. Be good. Be real good. window to win has died because of the deal I signed I'll be here as things get dark we can't score and no chance we win one more just rolling lines one through four waiting for the hints of a spark if the LA Kings decide they are truly satisfied with the depth they have on their left wing side 
There's no one beside you at the face-off marks I follow you into the dark Willie D has not been kind to me It's been an eternity Since my last healthy scratch And I held my tongue As he told me, son We wanna play run and gun And you're holding us back the LA Kings decide they are truly satisfied with the depth they have on their left wing side. If there's no one beside you at the face-off marks, I follow you into the dark. Oh, this team that's already lived the dream is now losing to Calgary and the St. Louis Blues were all worn down the time to lose is now but it's nothing to cry about as we held a couple cups we might draft Jack Hughes if the LA Kings decide they are truly satisfied with the depth they have on their left wing side. If there's no one beside you at the face-off marks, I follow you into the dark. I follow you into the dark.